You know our slogan around here is better practice, better life. But we're taking this belief to the next level. And we've recently announced the creation of a new association. It's called the Best Practices Association. Our association celebrates the mindset that is better practice, better life. This mindset celebrates time, healthy living, personal growth, clinical excellence, and impacting the lives of your patients and your team through intentional leadership. In fact, we are the work-life balance experts in dentistry. The BPA will coach independent dental practices like yours to thrive by sharing best practices and operational habits, behaviors, systems, tools, and insight that lead to profitability and sustained growth, and you can still have a life. So if you're a dentist that wants to surround yourself with great thinkers, let us help you create your own version of Better Practice, Better Life. Go to actdental.com forward slash BPA or hit the link in the show notes. Yo, yo, yo. Hey guys, welcome back to another awesome edition of the Best Practices Show. You ever thought to yourself, how do I properly read these cone beam images, especially when it comes to sleep disordered breathing? Well, today I bring on the expert. She actually wrote the book on this. Her name is Dania Tamimi, and she is brilliant. And she shares with us how to properly read these images and what to look for. Please listen up. I know you guys will enjoy it, and we'll see you soon. Hey guys, welcome back to the Best Practices Show podcast. Again, one of my favorite things ever is to talk to great people in this industry, learn from them, share the learning with you, and then they introduce me to other cool rock stars. So I'll tell you how this episode came to be. Dr. Rebecca Baca, who's one of my favorite of all time guests, she's like, you got to have my friend on. She's written the greatest textbook ever. And her name is Denia Tamimi. I think I got that right, right? So, and uh, we're going to be talking today in this particular podcast about looking underneath your patient's skin, the wonderful world of 3D radiologic imaging. So thank you so much for being on. Oh, thank you so much for the opportunity to share. Yeah. Let's start here because I want you, we're going to talk about your book. We're going to talk about the importance of this topic, but I always love to have people tell a little bit of who they are. I want our listeners to know who, who are they listening to today? So give us a little bio on, on, on who you are and what, what you do right now. All right. So I'm a dentist, obviously, and um, I'm trained in oral and maxillofacial radiology and uh, that, that's basically, you know, the interpretation of cone beam CTs, plain film imaging and MRI for dental purposes. And uh, that's what I do. And um, at the same time, you know, I was training to be a dentist and training to be a radiologist. I also trained to be a fitness instructor, spending instructor, yoga, Pilates. Um, I have a 500-hour 500, 500 uh, registered yoga trainer uh, certification, about 300 hours of Pilates, you know. And in addition to other things here and there, it's just, uh, it's been a journey. And um, that 
world of fitness really gives me this more encompassing view of the human body and human biomechanics. Because, you know, as dentists, we tend to look at teeth and the things that hold teeth together and maybe people's faces and how everything fits together. But um, there are a lot of more components to that and how things work. And that look into the world of yoga and Pilates kind of helped me uh, string the pieces together and try to understand how our craniofacial complex actually interacts with the rest of our body as well. Yeah. So, I mean, that's me in a nutshell, you know, I'm the mother of three kids. Um, my kids are 17, 15 and uh, 11. So my hands are full with, with teenagers, high schoolers and middle schoolers. <laughs> yeah. And I have three literary babies. So I have three human babies and three literary babies. And those are my three books. Okay, so uh, the book that Becca was referring to is this one, Specialty Imaging, Temporomandibular Joint and Sleep Disordered Breathing. This uh, book weighs about eight pounds, six ounces, just like a newborn. Okay. Wow. <laughs> and it's got about a thousand, I think 1200 pages or so. And the center of it is, you know, it's, it's imaging, obviously it's a radiology textbook, but the idea behind it was to help people understand the processes of, you know, the TMJ and the airway and how these things work together. And, um, you know, through a lot of background information about things like, you know, embryogenesis and occlusion and um, dynamics, biodynamics of the craniofacial complex, be it the cervical spine, the temporomandibular joints, you know, and the biodynamics of the breath, that sort of thing, you know, so that when we're looking at the imaging, when we're looking at the cone beam CTs or the panoramics or whatever, we're really thinking about the process of how this person got to that point, because your bones are the chronicle of your life. You know, your body is the chronicle of your life in general. But when we're, when we're talking about cone beam CT and imaging in general and in dentistry, what we see is the bones, the heart tissues and, and whatnot. And these tissues basically will record your life instances, you know, what you do with your body, how you hold yourself, how you carry yourself, how you function, how you chew, all that stuff will reflect on what your bones look like on imaging. And that's basically where I am in my practice as a radiologist. I'm looking at people's skeletons and trying to figure out where they were in the past, what happened to them in the past that brought them to this point in terms of morphology and function. And then what do I see in the scan here that can change their morphology and function in the future? So it's kind of looking into a crystal ball. You look into the past, you look into the future, you try to figure out <laughs> what's going to happen to this person. Yeah. yeah. This is so cool. So number one, I'm going to hang out with you one day because I can't get anything done compared to like, it's amazing what you've accomplished. And I'm going to encourage you guys, if you're not watching the video version of this podcast, we're going to put a link in the show notes to her books. You have to check them out. And Becca said this, like this has changed the game for her because one of the whys behind this for anyone that reads this is you really teach people how to read it. Like it's a story ultimately, right? And how to read what you're seeing. Right. So the, so the books and, you know, I do have courses that go along with the books. So basically I created that sort of mindset where, you know what, I'm going to write the, these books with the intent of creating cliff note courses, you know, to help people, you know, 
kind of put all that stuff together in one little neat packet. And um, all my books start with an understanding section. So there's like a, a good 50 to 100 pages of understanding this, understanding that, because ultimately what you're looking at in that static image is a the end stage of a process that has occurred over the past, God knows how many years of the patient's life, right? So if you understand bone biology, if you understand how osteo and osteoclasts and osteoblasts interact with one another and how bone remodels in a response to function or parafunction or whatever, if you understand how the face changes when someone doesn't breathe properly through their noses, then it's easy for you to put all those pieces together and help you know change the the pro projection of that person's life you know uh so yeah so uh it it's a hefty book you know yeah. it isn't meant to be read from cover to cover there's a methodology to it which one day we might we might describe uh, we might talk about later yeah uh -huh. and i love how you started with the understanding and i guess one of my questions is what's what's the most misunderstood component that you find regularly when it comes to dental community and 3D imaging, what are the, what's most misunderstood? Oh my gosh, I could make a list here. <laughs> <laughs> but I, if you ask me what the most misunderstood structure is in the craniofacial complex, I, and the most important to understand is the TMJ. All right, and all of us have gone through dental school. All of us have had some semblance of TMJ education in, in their background. But unfortunately, most of us have had a very poor introduction to TMJ, a very poor understanding of how that joint functions and when it falls into disrepair, parafunction, dysfunction, whatever it is, that's going to change the way your occlusion works. That's going to change the way your teeth fit together, right? It's going to change the way your face forms and grows. It's also going to affect the patency of your, your airway. So that understanding, and when I teach my courses, I start with the occlusal changes, for example, and I say, okay, so there's someone who's coming to you and they say their teeth don't fit together anymore. So they basically have a gap in between their front teeth and open bite. And you're thinking to yourself, all right, so let me do some Invisalign to try to bring those teeth together. But no, that's not the way to approach these. If you see a bite change, you have to understand why. You know, if you see crowding of the teeth, you have to understand why there's crowding of the teeth. It didn't just magically happen overnight. You know, there's there's a process that let, led us to that point. And it's not just bad genes, mm -hmm. you know. It's, it's a process of how the housing that held those teeth or holds those, those teeth is no longer where it should be. It has changed over time and created these bite changes Right. So an open bite, like if you have a patient who had their front teeth together at some point and then they came to you and say, hey, my teeth aren't together and the mammalons are worn off, then you know that there's something going on with the TMJ. So that's going to be like your first, you know, your first thing to think about. So what I'm trying to say is here is, is I try to make the TMJ relevant to the everyday dentist, you know, to the general dentist, uh, to the specialists. It's not just about, all right, so there's a clicking joint, you know, all oh, my joint hurts, whatever. There's a whole bunch of things to consider, you know, and a lot of our dental work uh, needs to be preceded with a good TMJ evaluation and airway evaluation as well. And, and I, my field basically, or my take on this is the radiographic evaluation of these patients. So that in the end, your dental treatment 
you know, it, it survives long term. You know, you want something that's stable. You want something that's going to last for a good chunk of that person's life and not fail because you misdiagnosed your patient. And that right there is a point that I see that we shouldn't be diagnosing our patient's teeth. You know, we should be pa- diagnosing our patients. Yeah. A full comprehensive evaluation of their craniofacial complex that houses their teeth. So that when we render dental treatment, we should be able to do that in a fashion that we have stable results that that hold with that patient for a good chunk of their lives. Yeah, that's so powerful. I mean, when you figure out the why, you would look at trauma people have experienced, there's a reason why some of these things don't work the way they should. And then speak to this. I mean, do you see skeletal changes happening with everyday human beings over time? And uh, another thing that we're aware of is people are going to be living longer too. So, you know, what we build from a from a from an oral health standpoint, it's kind of like a dynamic environment for, wouldn't you agree? Like it's kind of a moving target of managing forces. You know, prescription medications, trauma, it's, qu- it's quite the list. Well, not just that. Okay. It, well, first of all, we have to come to a realization that bone is alive, right? We tend to think of hard tissue right. as something that's solid, that's unmovable, when in reality it's fluid. All right. It's not liquid, right? It's fluid, meaning that it will move over time. It will change over time. And that's the homeostasis that we, you know, when you understand how osteoblasts and osteoclasts work and the the modeling and the remodeling and how these things work together to suit the function and to suit the, you know, the everyday habits and patterns of movement, then you understand that whatever you have right now, your morphology right now is not going to be the same in 10 years. You know, there's going to be a turnover of the bone. There's going to be a turnover of, uh, you know, the, the tissues and the structures and, and the soft tissues and hard tissues, all that are going to interact with one another as a, a result of how you use your body. Okay. Right. So, uh, yeah, I think I, I answered your question there. <laughs> I hope I did. I, I think I might have got off on a tangent, but bone is alive right? It's not static. It is moving through time. It is a fluid structure. Yeah. That's one thing that's, you just don't hear people say that at all, if ever, you know, in, um, when it comes to referencing bones. So, well, when you look at it radiographically and like, remember I'm a radiologist, so I'm just going to tell you what I know and what I see. When you look at it radiographically, you've got when you look at bone, you've got the hard cortical bone, which is actually very thin, right? And then the majority of the bone is relatively radiolucent. You've got trabeculation, right? But in between those trabeculae is what? You've got fluid, you've got fat, you've got blood, marrow, whatever it is, you know, it's, it's not a solid tissue like steel, right? There is a space for flow. For sure. For sure. And then take us through, obviously, imaging has greatly improved, too, in the last couple of years. Um, and now we can see more. What I always want to ask this. What can we anticipate here in the future? Let's, let's say we're doing a follow-up episode. When it comes to imaging, what are you seeing right now in our ability? We can see farther. We can see better. We can see with more clarity right now. And will this get exponentially better in the future, you think? I mean, absolutely, because our 
you know, that's just the progression of humankind. I mean, where were we like 20 years ago when you and I were in dental school or 25 years ago when we were in dental school, we were still doing panos and SAFs and, and periapicals. And we're still doing these these procedures, but now we have the ability to actually view our patients in 3D. You and I are three-dimensional structures. Our patients are three-dimensional structures. Their teeth inside their mouths are three-dimensional structures housed in three-dimensional structures. So it just makes sense for many of our procedures to be able to visualize those three-dimensional structures in their true dimension and then 3D. And maybe in the future, we're also gonna be able to see them in 4D moving with time. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, definitely there is movement towards, you know, improvement towards advancement. I don't, I don't have a crystal ball, you know, Yeah. <laughs> I, I have 3d vision. I don't have ESP or, you know, anything like that. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so I, you know, I can't tell, tell the future, but I mean, just by, by watching the progression of imaging over the past 50 20, 50 years, you know, look at how far we've gone. Yeah. I think this is amazing what you've done. Um, you said TMJ is probably one of your favorite topics to talk about that's misunderstood. What would be another one when it comes to imaging? What's a second one? Well, I, I guess it's just uh, many of our dental friends, uh, even though they work in 3D, they're not looking in 3D, you know, and, and uh, there's a lot of misconception about, uh, or let's say fear, uh, of ra the use of radiation, which I mean is justified. Photons are bad, right? You know, so, so but the thing is, is that when we, whenever we um, acquire uh, an image or make a decision to acquire the image, there's a thought process that we need to be considering. And the first is, can I get the information I need, the diagnostic information I need without using x-rays? right? If I can do that, then I don't do that. I don't go for the whole, like, I don't even do for a pair, go for a periapical if I don't need it, right? But if your diagnostic evaluation clinically is insufficient to render the correct diagnosis to your patient, then you need to bring out whatever big guns you have, you know, and, and do that judiciously and do that, you know, um, screen your patients, see what they need, right? So I guess the misconception here is like, we are going to stay away from cone beam CT because it's such a bad, bad thing because of the radiation, blah, blah. Yes, radiation is a force to be reckoned with. But the thing is, is that in my humble opinion is the, the harm that you do by not diagnosing your patient properly is far outweighs and is far more prevalent than the harm that may occur with some random photon hitting uh, a water molecule and, you know, right. uh, and ionizing it or any of the other changes that we see with imaging. So that's, that's you know, I guess one misconception that I'd like to, or at least one fear that I'd like to kind of quell. Yes, we have to be very smart in who we irradiate, but we shouldn't be so scared to use imaging when we really need it you know, and, and many of the cases are the three-dimensional movement of teeth in, th in, in the case of orthodontics, surgery, you know, if you're going to be removing a third molar and you, and the, the, the canal on the panel, you know, is ambiguous, you know, definitely you are going to need to see where it is so that you can maneuver around it, right? Things like that, you know, and, and in general, I, I believe that most orthodontic patients should be seen in some 
way or the other in three dimensions because the 2Ds are not sufficient to really represent that patient's morphology, right? right? Um, there's also the magnification, the superimposition, lots of things, you know, and I, you know, because I see a lot of these patients, I see the resorptions and I see the pathology that would otherwise be missed on, on 2D. You know, that's why I'm like, guys, don't worry too much about it. Just be smart, you know, and use a good selection criteria when choosing who to acquire an image for, you know, be it COVID CT or other. Yeah. Can you go back? One of the things you mentioned, you said 4D. I don't think I've heard anyone say 4D on this. What is 4D? I've heard 3D, uh, 2D. Tell us. It's, it, well, the dimension of time. Okay. Right. So, you know, if you, if you, I'm looking at you right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm looking at you 10 years from now and I'm evaluating what's happening with your with your patient, with your, um, uh, your progression rather, sorry. Right. And to, to be able to monitor that with time, you know, in a more fluid manner. Okay. You can also introduce another dimension, which is movement. Right. So obviously our jaws are not static, right? Our TMJs are not static and they have a certain trajectory to how they work and everybody's a little bit different, you know, because they have different conditions that may affect the way that they use their mouths, Um, their jaws or their lips or their musculature or whatever it is, or even their head posture on their, on their neck, all that changes how you move. Right. So watching the movement and the function over time, you know, that's, those are the extra dimensions, you know, 3D is just like the image itself, the static image, the fourth and fifth dimension would be the time and the movement. Yeah. Right. That is brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I love it. Um, yeah. And there are jaw tracking, tracking software, you know, you can, um, things like mod jaw and whatever that, that do four dimensional mandibular movement, uh, tracking that you can, currently evaluate and they'll actually superimpose the cone beam CT on the data of the jaw track tracking and you can see the mandible moving in in 4D. Yeah. yeah. That's one of the things that we've seen actually in our training center is like being able to take away the soft tissue and the hard t- tissue simultaneously and the tracking over time. I've even had guests on the podcast now Uh, describing AI devices that can actually be plugged into phones and they can do multiple scans so that they don't always have to come to a dental office. Um, Mm -hmm. I always love to ask this question and I ask it because I just don't know very much about it, but where does AI fit into 3D imaging if it does? I mean, I'm sure you get that question. I get it all day long. I still don't even know. If I had a dime, you know. If I had a dime for every time I was asked that question, you know. Yeah. Oh, my Lord. That and what's your favorite Cobb UCT machine? Those All two right. questions, you know, I wouldn't have to live. I wouldn't do anything for a living. You know, I just live off of the, the proceeds of the yeah. answering those questions right there. So, okay. Yes, it is definitely coming. AI is coming. We're not there yet where, you know, the software is going to replace the radiologist. It is an aid at this point not in the oral maxillofacial radiology quite yet, but in medical radiology when, when the evaluation necessitates a static lesion, right? So the variation in the gray scale of the units that make up the 
the scan, which are called voxels, okay? So the AI can pick up patterns, right? Patterns of change that alert the radiologist, hey, there's something here, take a look and tell us what you think, you know? So it, it, it's still done in conjunction with, the, with a human, you know, it can't be right. that you just rely on the AI. It's just a tool to help uh, minimize things like errors that come with fatigue, for example, you know, someone who's been on call all night and, uh, you know, doing scan after scan after scan, you might miss a small little one millimeter change, I don't know where in the brain or something like that. And, and, and the AI helps you know, direct that person's vision to that, you know, so that's where we are currently. Okay. When it comes to uh, 2D, AI has been successfully used for two, for two-dimensional uh, imaging, all right, uh, for our periodicals, panoramics, whatever, to, to help pick out things like caries and periodical disease and that kind of thing. And currently there is some software that is attempting to do that as well for the oral maxillofacial complex on 3D and on cone beam CT. The problem with that is that on cone beam CT, we have a lot of artifacts and those artifacts could mimic periodontal disease and caries and that sort of thing. So it's hard to hang your hat on that. It's like the dream, I think, for a dentist, <laughs> for many of the, our dental friends who have a cone beam CT is just to have the software plug in the scan and have it read everything. And who cares? You know, don't need to send it to a radiologist or anything like that. Well, you can't do that. No, <laughs> no, no, you can't do that because also the software isn't is not uh, intelligent enough to to. Um, to do the cause and effect thing that we do as dentists, you know, that, so remember the whole understanding the TMJ and understanding the airway stuff that I was talking about in my, in my books, that understanding, you know, that I understand that this phenotype, this patient, how this patient appears at this time point is a result of X, Y, Z happening. That also was, you know, confounded by ABC. Yeah. Right. And putting all that stuff together, that's a very complex you know, algebraic yeah. <laughs> equation. <laughs> I totally oh, agree. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and if you look at the history of dentistry, everybody's always been looking for the magic button and it just doesn't exist. I think the important thing to understand is, you know, what you're teaching is amazing. It's how to understand, how to put the story together. Every patient has a story and our ability as a healthcare provider is to understand the story, help them create a better story and you, we can have all the thing, the information in the world at our fingertips, but uh, it all Absolutely. tells stories. So, And a big part of our, our thinking as dentists, okay, our own thinking towards ourselves, our own profession, as well as how the public views us, you know, is that we have to step away from being tooth carpenters. Okay. We are not that, you know, we are not smile makers. Yes, we are, but we're not just that, you know. Uh, we're not tooth straighteners. We're doctors, you know, physicians of the oral and maxillofacial complex. And that encompasses an understanding of how those teeth that, of course, the aesthetic component, dentists, uh, I mean, um, dental patients will see that as part of their, you know, cosmetic uh, repertoire. You know, but we know better. For sure. Right? Yeah. So um, just changing that mindset, not just within the, the population, with the general population, but also our medical colleagues who don't know what we're doing, you know, don't understand the importance of what we're doing. You know, and I speak at, at medical conferences, head and neck radiology conferences, showing them because they're always talking about, you know, noses and sinuses and things like that, you know. 
But then I come and say, hey, but did you notice that this person who has that kind of like blockage because of their chronic sinusitis also has a face that's very long, a mouth breathing, uh, you know, uh, phenotype. Uh, his jaws are small. He's, you know, he's not sleeping. Kid has ADHD, blah, blah, blah. Putting those pieces together is completely foreign for them, right? Right. For our medical colleagues, you know. And then there's us, you know, us as dentists, where we need to step up to the plate, right? And understand what a patient's phenotype means. Read between the lines, you know, there's stuff they're, gonna, they're not going to be able to articulate, you know. And a big part of that isn't just the phenotype and the way the patient appears to you at this time point, but also what has happened in their past and not just physically, but also emotionally and psychologically, Okay. Because trauma, and you mentioned trauma, you probably meant, meant macro trauma, but you know, trauma, psychological trauma, PTSD, all that changes the way that you use your jaws. Okay, if you've ever have heard me, Brooks, you know, just clench these people with these huge masters and temporalis because of all the stress that they're they're under. That is a that is your body, basically speaking, your mind. That is your body translating your emotions into physical form. Okay, and if you don't deal with that, then no matter what you do dentally, no matter how many splints you put in, no matter how you change, I don't know, the occlusion, whatever it is, you know, that's not going to get fixed if you don't change what's in their heads. Yeah. Right. So yeah. you're going to keep breaking all those crowns. Yeah. You know? This is amazing. I have so many more questions. Um, and I, I want to be respectful of your time. But, and I also want you to talk about your courses. But let's do this first. Give us any last thoughts you have on, you know, looking underneath our patient skins and understanding the world of 3D imaging. Last thoughts. Let's see. Oh, where we've only just begun. Yes. <laughs> oh, gosh. So, yeah. Uh, once again, the bone is a chronicle of your life, you know, and the ability to visualize the three-dimensional imaging. Um, and I'm not just talking about looking for, like when you get this combi and CT and looking for pathology, whatever, but the actual creation of reformations of, of models of what that patient appears like and understanding how to analyze and what that stuff means. What does it mean if I have that 3D skeleton of the patient's face, you know, and I see that the gonial angles are flared out? Okay, I need to think about how the muscles are working there because bone is responding to muscle and the battle between muscle and bone, the muscle always wins. So the bone is going to respond to an excess of muscle function, whether it's pulling or pushing, right? That's so, yeah, so, and then recreating whatever reformations, you know, looking at the airway, looking at the TMJs, looking at the skeleton, looking at specific cross-sections of whatever area that you're interested in putting an implant in, for example, the root canals and, you know, trying to find the missed canal or whatever it is. All that requires a little bit of thinking, three-dimensional thinking, which can be trained, but it's not intuitive, right. you know, and this is a dental specialty. This oral maxillofacial radiology thing is a specialty, you know, just like any specialty that we know, orthodontics and, and peri or whatever. So you have to invest time in the education you know, to be able to do it effectively. And can't can't just be going straight to the thing that you want to do. There's a methodology. There is a sequential methodology to getting the scan read. Okay? Yeah. Which is basically what I do. I for you know, I love to teach this stuff, you know. 
<laughs> so segue into my courses. <laughs> yeah, please. Can you tell the listeners, somebody that might be listening, I want you to tell them where to go to find your courses. What, okay. what are your courses about and where do I go? Well, first of all, um, I, uh, I have two courses that I run online. I do speak all over the world. You know, I'm invited, I'm actually heading over to Chile and Poland, Romania, Turkey, and Dubai in October. So it's going to be a, a very busy fall season, just like speaking. On. <laughs> it's just crazy. I don't know why I do this to myself. I know why I do this to myself because I'd rather just lump it all in one and, and then come back and be mom, right? right. <laughs> Um, but, uh, so there's that stuff if you're abroad, you know, but if you're here in the U S and you'd rather do something virtual, easy, I do a, how to read a cone BCT course. And that is, uh, describing exactly the methodology of going through a scan. Okay. So it's not just about like, okay, where do I put that implant in? There is a method and I teach you that method and I follow it with, privates. So I do private sessions as well. You know, and you don't have to take the course to take the privates, but it is advisable to do that because that's going to build a lot of good information base that's going to help you move forward as you actually go through your scans. Okay. The other course that I do virtually is um, understanding the TMJ and the airway. Okay. And that's actually coming up uh, in September. I don't know when this podcast is going to view or air, um, but if you're interested, I'm putting these courses on all the time and I'm putting that on the Beam Readers website. I don't know if you know what Beam Readers is, but it's the teleradiology company that I work with. Um, and it's Beam as in like cone beam and then readers, people like us who read the scans, right? Um, Beamreaders.com slash courses, okay? You'll find uh, the courses that I currently have. You'll find a whole bunch of material as well from myself and from others, pre-recorded material, as well as the opportunities to sit one-on-one -on -one with another radiologist to help talk you through the process of what you need to do for your particular diagnostic task. Yeah, that's amazing. So yeah. I am so grateful. Now, if you guys are listening, you're not taking notes, don't worry. This is how we do it. We take notes for you. So if you're listening on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, wherever, you can flip up to the notes and you can see all of the links that we've chatted about. I'll also put in there the links to your textbooks, which they, which they have to check out. They've got to be able to check those out. So Yeah, they're on Amazon. It's easy to find them. You just search by my name. You'll find the books there. They're also on the Elsevier website. And depending on which one has a discount, sometimes Amazon has a better like price than Elsevier. You can pick the one that you want. Either one. Yeah. It's all good. That's so awesome. Thank you so much for being on today. I really yeah, appreciate it. Of course. It. Yeah. In your busy yeah. schedule. I don't know how you do it. I am going to come hang out with you one day and just figure out how. <laughs> you know. know what they say. What? You know what they say. You know, you want to get something done. You give it to a busy woman. <laughs> that is right? true. That okay. is so true. <laughs> They'll just find a way to get it done. So right. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much for being on the show. Stick around while we say goodbye to everybody else. But thank you guys for listening to the Best Practices Show. Hey, if you enjoyed today, which I hope you did, please hit, hit the share button. Share this with your friends. Uh, keep sending us suggestions for things that you guys want to see. We're going to keep lining them up and bringing great thinkers uh, and great influencers in this great profession. So until we see you guys next time or you hear from us next time, keep watching or keep listening to the best practices show. You guys enjoy your day. 
So there you have it. Another great episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Hey, and thank you for showing up. I just want to thank you for being here and sharing the good word with your friends. And if you're really enjoying the podcast, could you do me a favor? Could you go to wherever you consume the podcast and just give us a four or five star review? Here's what that does. It allows us to find other great people like you. I love this profession so much. I'm going to spend the rest of my professional life finding great information so that you can consume it and your friends can consume it so that you can create a better practice and a better life. So keep spreading the word and we will see you guys soon. Have a great day, everybody.